You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. Good morning. Good morning. I've got, uh, as we continue with 1 Corinthians, I have a little pop quiz for you this morning. So, uh, would you say that the following are right or wrong for a Christian? Okay? Drinking alcohol. Swearing in public. Participating in legal betting. Active involvement in politics. (laughs) Driving over the speed limit just to stay with the traffic. Being a Sacramento Kings fan. If you had a hard time answering some of those, are, are saying, well, it depends. You understand the problem Paul has when the Corinthians ask him, can we eat meat offered to idols? Now, he could have said, absolutely. Anything that's not forbidden in the Bible, you're free to do. Or he could have said, absolutely not. You're consorting with demons. But Paul does neither. But he spends three chapters of Scripture saying it depends and helping the Corinthians how to think through issues that we face that aren't covered by the Scriptures. Have you noticed that? That some of the hardest decisions we have to make kind of slip between the verses and there's no clear Scripture to help us. Well, that's what Paul is doing here. Today we come to the conclusion where he actually answers the question. And we're going to look at three things. One, we're going to look at, at the principle. The principle we use when determining what is right and what is wrong on issues that divide Christians where the Bible is not absolutely clear. And then we're going to look at, at how Paul applies this principle to this question, can we eat meat offered to idols? And then finally, we'll look at the importance of why it's so important that we apply this principle in all these areas, the kind of the gray areas, the things that divide us. Can we glorify God when we disagree? That's the issue. So I think you'll find this helpful this morning. Let's pray. Father, you've said, let him who speaks speak the utterance of God. And I am incapable of saying what you want me to say unless your spirit guides me. I pray you'll give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to obey, that you'll teach us from the scriptures this morning and help me to stay out of the way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Meat offered to idols is not a hot issue today, right? That's not a question we're asking, but it was in Corinth. Corinth was a Greek city full of temples to every god and goddess, and sacrifices would be made daily to these gods and goddesses. They didn't eat much, so they had a lot of extra meat, 
And so typically these temples would have a restaurant attached to the, to the temple. And the Corinthians had always gone to these restaurants before they became Christians. So they were asking Paul, is there any problem in us now as believers of eating this meat that's been offered to idols? And so he spent three chapters explaining this. This is not an issue that's an issue for us. But how Paul solves it, it's very helpful to us in resolving the issues that we deal with where the scriptures are not clear and we disagree and how we glorify God in that. And I, I tell you, I have not in my lifetime seen a time when the church is so polarized and so divided by the things that divide our nation politics and sociological issues. And, and so if there's a time for the church to be different, Paul said, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt becomes tasteless, how will it be made salty again? We influence the world by being different from the world, not by being the same as the world. And so how do we take these issues where we have our own convictions, but we disagree with one another, and keep those convictions from dividing the church, but rather uniting the church. That's where we're going today. Does that make sense? So let's start and, and uh, look at, at Paul, what Paul says. Let's look at the principle first of all. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Two questions Paul asks. Just because something is lawful, that is, it's not forbidden in the scripture, doesn't mean it's profitable. Doesn't mean it's good for you. Doesn't mean it contributes to your relationship with God, to your mental, physical, or emotional health. And so the first question I have to ask when I'm trying to figure out, should I do this? Should I not do this? Is it profitable for me? Primarily, is it profitable spiritually? Does it bring me closer to God or does it push me further away from God? Is it profitable? And the second question I have to ask, which may be even more important, is how does me doing this affect other people? Does it edify? Is it profitable for them? The freedom you have is not freedom to gloat about and say, you're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do. Let each person please his neighbor to his edification. That's the point. That's the principle we're going to be looking at. That just because the Bible doesn't forbid something doesn't mean I'm free to go ahead and do it. I have to look at it. how does this affect me? How does this affect other people? Does that make sense? Now let's see how Paul applies that to the question of meat offered to idols. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions, for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. 
Let's stop there. Paul has already said that when it comes to meat offered to idols, as Jeff said, it's not the menu, it's the venue. There's nothing wrong with eating that meat. It's where you eat it. And if you go to the temple to eat it, you're in trouble because you're consorting with demons. Because the unbelievers are worshiping demons, you are putting yourself into that environment. You are provoking the Lord to jealousy. So we already know that in certain situations, you should not eat meat offered to idols by going to the temple where it's sold. But there was other places meat was sold too. They just didn't serve it at the temple. It would be sold in the meat market. It would be sold uh, and people would buy it to serve it at home. So what about those situations? Well, Paul says, first of all, if you're at the meat market, don't ask questions. <laughs> don't say, well, where did this meat come from? And which temple did this meat come from? And, and uh, is this grass-fed meat? And uh, is this organic? No. Just the world is the Lord. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's. And all it contains, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, everything created by God is good, if received with gratitude. Paul already said that meat cannot put you into better standing with God. God is not concerned about what you eat. So for conscience sake, don't even ask the question. Just eat it freely. You're fine. Same thing if somebody invites you over for dinner. Don't ask them, now, where did you buy this meat? Where's this meat from? Uh, but, let's go on. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience sake. If, if someone points out at this dinner, you know, you know where this meat was before it came here, it was offered in the temple of Aphrodite. Don't argue with them. Don't claim, oh, I'm free in Christ. I can eat that. Just don't eat it for their sake. For their sake. Does that make sense? Uh, and for conscience sake, I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Why does Paul here make a big deal about the conscience and whose conscience he's acting on behalf of? Paul, this is very clever, Paul is, is avoiding the two big mistakes that we come into when we deal with things the Bible hasn't talked about. One is the problem of license, where I say, the Bible doesn't say anything about this. My conscience is free to do it. Therefore, I'm going to do it regardless of how it affects you. Paul says, don't do that. If the other person has a problem with you doing that, then don't do it. On the other hand, there's the problem of legalism, where my conscience is bound by your conscience. In other words, if you have a problem with it, then it's wrong for me. And Paul says that's not the case. Paul's conscience is educated by the gospel. Jesus said all foods are clean. You can eat anything if you eat with thankfulness. And Paul is not going to surrender that for a moment. But that doesn't mean he uses that freedom to hurt his weaker brother. 
But when he's around this person, he won't eat that food, not for his conscience, but for the other person's conscience. Does that make sense? So what Paul is saying, I want my conscience to be educated by the Word of God. I want to do what is right in God's sight, not in man's sight. But if somebody around me has a problem with this, for their sake, I won't eat in their presence. Is that hypocrisy? No, it's not hypocrisy. It's just loving your neighbor as yourself. Does that make sense? Years ago, just a few months after I became a Christian, I was part of an outreach to, an Easter outreach to the Colorado River because that's where all the college students in Southern California went on, on uh, Easter break. And so we were sharing our faith all over. And, and uh, we were at, a friend of mine and I, we were out at an outdoor bar. It was the middle of the day. It was hot. We were talking to some guys. And so we each had a beer while we, while we were talking to these guys. And one of the crusade staff guys walked in and he looked at us and I could tell by the look in his eyes he wasn't pleased. And I began to mentally defend myself. I'm free in Christ. I'm also 21 years old. And I'm not getting drunk. And so I am free to do this. Well, now 50 years later, I would handle that totally different because hopefully I've matured a little bit. I stopped drinking many, many years ago because I have been around alcoholics all my life. And I realized that my drinking can be harmful to them because it gives them an excuse to drink too. I don't believe that drinking alcohol is wrong. I believe that drunkenness is wrong. I don't believe drinking, but I just don't drink because it just complicates things so much. And I think that's what Paul is saying here is first of all, your conscience should be governed in terms of what is right and wrong by the scriptures, not by other people. But on the other hand, I don't, I don't go out of my way to cause another person to stumble. If it's, if it's a problem for him, if he says, this is meat offered to idols, I, I, fine, I won't eat it then. Thank you for telling me. Now you see in Paul's life this twin approach to standing for the freedom of the gospel and yet taking other people's weaknesses in, into uh, in the account. In Acts 15, Paul is in, Bar in Antioch and some Jewish Christians come to Antioch. Antioch was a Christian of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And these Jewish Christians from Jerusalem began to teach the Gentile Christians, unless you convert to Judaism, unless you're circumcised and keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And Paul and his buddy Barnabas have a big debate with them. So the church says, you guys should go down to Jerusalem and talk to the apostles and see what they say. So they go to, to Jerusalem and, and they have a big conference, a big council, and, and the church decides that Jews and, Jews and Gentiles are all saved the same way, saved through the grace of Christ, saved by what Jesus has done, not by what we've done. We're not, nobody is saved by keeping the law because nobody keeps the law. We're all saved by grace, and so therefore, you Gentiles, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't need to keep the law. Just trust Jesus. That's what they come down to. That's Acts 15. 
However, in Acts 16, Paul is starting off on a missionary journey, and he takes a young guy named Timothy. And because Timothy's father is a Greek and his mother is a Jew, Paul circumcises him so that he will not be a stumbling block to the Jews that, that uh, they're trying to reach with the gospel. You say, well, isn't that contradictory? Isn't that, isn't that hypocritical of Paul? No. He's just becoming all things to all men. You see the point? So he's not going to let a little thing, well, I'm sure it's a big thing for Timothy, but it, I always wonder when I read that, how did they check? You know, I mean, but anyway. Let's look at the importance. Why this is so important. This is, see, I think it's easy to think that when we're talking about things that aren't in the Bible, eh, you can believe what you want to believe. You're free. Paul says that's not the case. That how you handle these gray areas is very, very important. Look what he says. Here's why it's important. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, I used to read this and just think, yeah, everything you do, do all to the glory of God, completely ignoring the context. But the context is what you eat and drink. That's what he's been talking about. Or what, he's talking about how you handle yourself in the areas that are not clearly prescribed in the Scripture glorify God. This is, your, this is the way we, we show who God is in how we deal with areas where we are free to make our own decisions, you see. It's been said that we are the only Bible that most people will ever read. And how we conduct ourselves gives people a picture of God. Is God a God of selfless love? Or is God a God of selfishness and demanding his own way? How do I glorify God? That's the point that Paul's making. We're talking about the, the very image of God, that, how we should demonstrate that. And Paul goes on and says, the way we glorify God is give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, just as I am also of Christ. Back in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, Though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all, that I might win more. More than what? More than he can win if he doesn't make himself a slave to men. What Paul is saying there, my effectiveness in reaching people for Christ depends on my ability to become as much like them as I possibly can. To the Jew, I became as a Jew to those under the law as under the law. When Paul was around Jews, he was the best Jew he could be. He honored all their traditions. He honored all their, uh, their beliefs. He took vows. He cut his hair. He did all the things a, 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 a devout Jew would do. To those who were without law, 
as without law. When Paul was around Gentiles, he was just like a Gentile. He ate their food. He quoted their philosophers. He spent time with them. To the weak, I became weak when Paul was around the poor and the despised of the world. He didn't lord it over them. He talked just like they did. He, he, he became weak. He be, I have become all things to all men that I may all, by all means save some. Paul says, though I am free from everybody because I'm a Christian, I voluntarily make myself a slave to them. I, I make allowances for their convictions, for their beliefs and stuff like that, and do not offend them unnecessarily. That's the idea here. The way I glorify God, the way I become an imitator of Jesus is by giving as little offense as I can. That doesn't mean you're not going to give offense. If you're going to be biblical, you're going to give offense to people. But don't give unnecessary offense. Don't give offense where you could help it. Does that make sense? I'm slowly making my way through the two-volume biography of Hudson Taylor, who was a great missionary to China. He, he and his small group of British missionaries went over there in the early 1800s. And when they got there, the European missionaries that were all there, they lived in the European sections of a few port cities. They, their, their houses were much nicer. They ate European food. They wore European clothing. They spoke their native tongue. And every once in a while, they would take their translator and they would go into the Chinese part of the port city and preach the gospel. And, well, nobody was interested in the gospel. People, they were, the Chinese were just too hard. Um, Taylor thought, this doesn't make sense. So he and his group of missionaries didn't stay in the European section of the city, but they moved into the boarding houses where all the other Chinese lived. And they didn't eat European food. They ate Chinese food. They go to Chinese restaurants or they go to the market and buy Chinese food and cook Chinese food in their, in their, in their apartments. And they didn't wear European clothing. They wore Chinese clothing. And they didn't wear their hair like Europeans. They wore their hair like the Chinese. And people, nobody became a Christian until one did. And then another one, and another one, and another one. And pretty soon, Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Mission began to push toward the interior, push to places there were no Europeans. They were the first Europeans they'd ever seen. But they were accepted because they were so familiar. They spoke Chinese. They dressed like the Chinese. They ate Chinese. They, they completely gave up their culture for the gospel. Now, didn't the other European missionaries have a right to live where they wanted to? Sure. Didn't they have a right to eat what they wanted? Sure. Didn't they have a right to speak their own language? Yeah. But hanging on to those rights made them ineffective. Does that make sense? So Paul's saying, because we're here for a larger purpose than our pleasure and our good, 
let's please others, become as much like those people as we could. Now, Jesus did the same thing. He did exactly the same thing. In uh, Matthew 17, 24 through 27, the priests come to Peter, and they ask him, he says, does your master pay the two drachma tax? Now, the two drachma tax was a temple tax that paid for the upkeep of the temple. It, it isn't prescribed in the law. And the Roman government had no interest in, in, in uh, uh, collecting it. So the only way the priests could collect it was through guilt. You ever experienced that? Well, I guess you don't have to do this, but if you're a good Jew. So they're asking Peter. He says, okay, does your master pay the two drachma tax? And Peter just mindlessly says yes. And then he goes to find Jesus. And when he walks in the house, Jesus speaks first. He says, I got a question for you, Peter. The kings of the earth, do they collect taxes from their sons and from those who are not their sons? And Peter says, well, I guess they collect taxes from those who are not their sons. And Jesus says, right, so the sons are exempt. In other words, we are the sons of God. We are exempt from this tax. But to keep them from stumbling, go down to the sea, throw in your hook, and bring out the fish, and you will find in that fish a stator. A stator was worth four drachmas and give it to them for you and me. Now, if, if Jesus had believed that poll tax was something everybody should have paid, they would have just paid it through, out of the common treasury they had between them. But he didn't. This was to keep them from stumbling. In this case, keep these priests from stumbling. So he says, find a fish, you'll find the coins in it, and, and, and they paid it. So Jesus goes out of his way to keep from causing people to stumble, but it didn't bother him at all to cleanse the temple a couple of weeks later and, and uh, to get their ire because he says this, my, my father's house uh, shall, not, shall be called a house of prayer for the nations, but you've made it a robber's den. So Jesus is perfectly willing to offend at the key issues, the most important issues, but he tries not to offend at things that are unimportant. Does that make sense? And that's what Paul is saying here. I think the thing that I got out of this is that the way we glorify God is by laying down our rights and things we believe are correct for the sake of others. I've, uh, I've told you about my adventures in driving over the years. And um, I, you know, I'll admit it, I like to drive fast. And, and uh, I, I drive at the speed of the traffic the faster traffic. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I know, you know, that, that God says, um, be in subject to the governing authority, for there is no authority but what is from God, and those who resist authority resist God. But I thought, well, I'm sure that's true, but I don't think God meant speed limits, because, because nobody obeys speed limits, right? And stuff like that. So, and um, I... I drove my poor wife crazy because, you know, she didn't want to drive with me. Well, anyway, four years ago, 
four years ago, as you know, I had this seizure, this strange seizure that to this day they still don't know what happened. But because I had a seizure, I lost my license for six months until they saw whether the medication I was taking was going to work. And so I was consigned to using Uber and getting wise from friends for six months. And this caused me to reflect on my life. And uh, <laughs> I realized that for years, uh, God had been waiting for me to repent of my driving. And finally, when I refused to repent, he turned up the temperature a little bit. And the question was, was I going to repent now that I had a chance when I went back? So I had to think about driving a little more. And what I realized was, as I already said, I was not driving for the glory of God. I was not submitting myself to God and saying, I will drive at the speed you command me to because I live for your will, not my own. So that was one. Second of all, um, I didn't really think about what was good for me. Because for me, getting there fastest and getting there first was the most important thing to me. And as a result, I drove with elevated blood pressure, always angry, always mad at somebody. Everybody on the freeway was a competitor <laughs> or some, you know, just somebody. I, you know, I wasn't loving my neighbors myself. It, this was not profitable for me. I, wherever I was going, I would never get there happy because it was a road race and I had to win. And Third, I wasn't a very good witness to others. In fact, I remember every Sunday as I came off the Dutton Street exit there, I'm just hoping there is no church member either in front of me or behind me. I just hope, please don't turn into our church here. Because <laughs> I didn't want them to know that a pastor drove that way. And so I had to apply these things does it glorify God? Is it profitable for me? Does it edify others to my driving? And, and it's been a battle because these are old habits. But as long as I remember those things, I drive at the speed limit. And I'm a lot happier. Every once in a while, um, it's always when my wife's in the car. <laughs> I, I forget and drive a little fast. But anyway, just to illustrate that it is the areas where we have freedom is often the biggest problems for our lives. Paul says we become imitators of Christ when we put the welfare of others before our own welfare. Because Jesus left heaven for our interests. Rather than his own. Jesus laid aside his power. His glory. As God. For our interests. Rather than his own. He took on our weak humanity. Uh, with all our limitations and all our disabilities for our interests, not for his own. 
He was born in poverty in a nation occupied by a foreign power for our interests, not his own. He subjected himself to becoming a Jew and obeying all of their cultural rules for our benefit, not for his own. He was tempted in everything like we're tempted in for our interests, not for his own. He experienced rejection from the very people he created for our interests, not for his own. He was lied about, condemned in a kangaroo court, tortured, and then crucified for our interests, not for his own. He was put in the ground and experienced death for our interests, not for his own. He lived the life we were supposed to live but didn't so that God can credit us with his righteousness for our interests, not for his own. He hung on the cross that we should have hung on, bearing the guilt of our sin and the punishment for it so that God can declare us pardoned for his interests and not for our own. He rose from the dead so that we could live forever, obviously for our interests and not for his own. And today, he intercedes for us with the Father in heaven in our interests, not for his own. And then he turns to those of us who have trusted him and become children of God and said, live for others' interests rather than your own. As we close today, I want to take some time of prayer, and I would like you to think about what was the last big conflict you had in your life? The last conflict with another person you had. Was it over a biblical issue? Or was it over an issue of opinion? And if it was over an issue of opinion, confess that to God, repent, and ask God how you can put other people before yourself so you can be like Jesus. Let's pray. You know our nature, Father. You know that we're stubborn and always right. We're blind to other people's opinions. Lord, I pray you'll free us from our, our stubbornness and help us to be like you and put others ahead of ourselves for their good that we might know your joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.